So one of the cool things about being a part of this big family of churches all across North America, this interconnectedness, is we have planters listening to the podcast, planters talking to field staff in the Send Network, and a subject has come up in a number of different places that they actually reached out and said, hey, we'd love to hear uh, the Send Network podcast. We are Send Network podcast. Take this subject on. It's the subject of gentrification. Family, multiplication, restoration. I'm Dahadi Lewis. Join me, Noah Odom and Hayden Radden, as we come to you from Atlanta, St. Louis, and Las Vegas, as we seek to add value to your church plan and journey. We'll have real-time, authentic conversations that are relevant to the life of the church planner and pastor. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. The world tells us our differences should divide us. But the gospel, it has a different story. Our mission, our calling, His command, is a mission that unites every Christ follower in a way that stands out, a way that doesn't make sense to the world. Join us June 13th and 14th at SEND Conference to be refreshed and celebrate the church together on mission. A free event hosted by the International Mission Board and North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Learn more at SendConference.com. Welcome to another episode of the We Are Send Network podcast. My name is Noah Oldham, lead pastor of August Gate Church in St. Louis, joined by Dahadi Lewis, the lead pastor of Blueprint in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Dahadi, how you doing today, man? What's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm doing well. Just you and me today. Uh, Hayden is on the road, getting some stuff done, serving the the kingdom in a larger way. So he couldn't join us today. So just you and me holding it down. Uh, but I think we have an, a really, really important and and fun subject for us to tackle today. You ready? I'm ready. Let's get it. Hey, so one of the cool things about being a part of this big family of churches all across North America, this interconnectedness, is we have planters listening to the podcast, planters talking to field staff in the Send Network, and a subject has come up in a number of different places that they actually reached out and said, hey, we'd love to hear uh, the Send Network podcast. We are Send Network podcast. Take this subject on. It's the subject of gentrification, gentrification specifically in the urban environment. And so... It's a challenge. Uh, I know personally uh, in your life, Tahati, where your church has planted, gentrification has come up. That conversation is always swirling. Uh, for me as well, in St. Louis, it's been a conversation since the very beginning of our plant, and it's happening everywhere. Uh, Send Network, we want to plant churches everywhere for everyone, but we have an emphasis on these on these cities that have uh, a lower uh, number, a lower population of evangelical churches. And so it's going to come up. So man, would love for you just to start off. Um, let's just speak about with, to the audience who may not be a, as aware of what gentrification is. And in your own words, Dahadi, I, what is gentrification? Yeah, I mean, I think gentrification in my words would be, it's basically, it's whenever you take kind of center cities and center cities, whether it be inner city or in an inner city environment or lower income, and then basically middle class to upper middle class move in to these inner city, um, traditionally like poor, lower income neighborhoods and where they start bringing in their middle class taste and preferences and things and those worlds kind of collide where you see the housing market and, and all of that you know, impacted by it. So a lot of times I think about it from the vantage point of really the way I now define urban, right? Urban by, I define urban by density and diversity. 
right? And I think gentrification is that is where you get mm. these worlds and they are colliding. It's the new urban. I've said it before. Is it's kind of like I remember going into the um, the urban outfitter. It was about 10 years ago, you know, right before, right when we was playing some Blueprint Church. And I went into the Urban Outfitter and I was like, there's nothing urban about this outfitter, right? And it was like at that time that I recognized that like, all right, we are in a new urban. And and I think it's gentrification that yeah. has been able to hit that urban. But I do think, it's, I would say this, Stetzer, I've talked to Stetzer about this oftentimes. And Stetzer, basically, he always reminds me when we talk about this, that like the new urban, he says, you know, it's actually not a new urban. He says America is the only country or one of the very few countries where the the rich live on the outskirts and the poor live in the center. He says in every other major uh, country, the rich live in the center and the poor live on the outskirts. And so I don't know if America is going to fully get there or fully go there, but it's actually a very normal thing that we're seeing. And so I think gentrification is kind of the, the transitioning of, of that kind of taking place in America. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. I looked up a definition of gentrification just to speak to it. Um, so I can make sure I'm speaking to it with the, the right terms, but if I thought this was interesting. It says changing the culture and character of a neighborhood through the influx of more affluent residents and businesses. And so, like you said, it's that that influx of the middle class, the upper middle class, but it's also it results in changing the character and culture of a community, of a neighborhood. Yeah. And so, good. you know, when, when I think about this, Tahati, like for me, my experience in South City, St. Louis, we, we came in in 2009 and planted. Um, was, I say it's the first church that I planted in St. Louis was there in that South City urban environment. And you could go neighborhood to neighborhood. St. Louis has 79 different neighborhoods, neighborhood to neighborhood different levels of gentrification and different views of gentrification. So some people mm. embraced it, loved it, wanted it. Other people despised it, don't want it here. And so uh, let, let's talk to that a little bit. What are some of the negatives? Why is gentrification looked upon as, by some people, a, a primarily negative uh, phenomenon? Well, I mean, I think it's that. I mean, you said it at the very beginning. It's about change. I mean, and I think, you know, you're a pastor of a church. We're all pastors. Some people just don't like change, period. Like, I don't care. Good change, bad change, indifferent change, you know, anything. I like this. People don't like change. And so I think that that's one, um, you know, wh whether it's positive or negative. But I also feel like, I mean, like our neighborhood, very, very similar. Like I'm in the old fourth ward where you have, like these worlds that are colliding, right? So we have the fastest growing gentrifying community, right? In probably in Atlanta, but at the same, I mean, in, in the South, but but in Atlanta specifically, it's the fastest growing. But on the flip side of it, you have kind of the, the largest Section 8 housing, right, in here. And so you talk about our neighborhood change. Just to give you uh, an example, like I, I bought some land, uh, you know, six or six years ago. Um, and that land that I bought, you know, let's just say, I, I think we bought it for 50, it was yeah, $50,000. Um, that same piece of land, like, you know, the same size of that land just sold a, a couple of months ago for over $450,000. So we're talking about over in less than a decade, wow. we have seen, you know, I don't even know that much of a percentage increase. And it's been uh, the change 
that has impacted. And so there's been books literally about my neighborhood that they have called them, you know, and it's talking about them, Mm -hmm. you know, the people, these people moving into our neighborhoods and just the, the view. And so you talk about what's negative. The negative is, is that you have these indigenous people who have been here, who, who was raised in here, who went to elementary school, high school, like they were born here in this neighborhood. They, they found their roots in here. And now you got these gentrifying community coming in and changing everything about that. And so whether good or bad, I'm not even putting value to it, whether it's good or bad, it's just change. You know, and it's in what is what it's causing to some to the worst of them is basically it's causing complete displacement. Right. Like you're no longer welcomed in this neighborhood to others. Like it's just kind of totally reshaping and reorganizing their neighborhood. And the people who have more money think that they have more ownership in this neighborhood. And so they so what Mm. ends up happening is that they begin to form neighborhood associations and you know, their own neighborhood association kind of bypassing other, you know, the historical ones are taking over neighborhood associations and they begin to make decisions based upon their own middle class, you know, taste in like like crowding out the, you know, the the opinion, the thoughts, the voice of those who have been here indigenous. And it creates an us versus them mentality and mindset. And so I just think that there's all of that yeah. that is so many different things that we can take. And they, like there's promises that are made that are not followed through. I mean, every developer comes in and says, we're going to have mixed income. And then they, they create some type of an agreement with the city, whether it's three years, four years, five years. And as soon as that five years or three years, whatever that agreement is over, it immediately goes to market rate, right? So they fulfill their their duty, yeah. but then it, it, it jumps up to market rate. And it's just, and so, and people see that. They see that. And so, when we saw that, we yeah. was just like, man, we gotta, we gotta address this. And so that's really one of the things that Blueprint was like, man, we gotta run to that tension and address that issue. But you know, that's here in Atlanta and how we've been kind of anecdotally kind of um how that is prosper happening in Atlanta. What about, you know, there's um for you in St. Louis? Yeah, man. So you think in St. Louis, um, a lot of similar things. Uh you have these mixed, these mixed opinions. And so I watched being a part of a community, coming in, getting on the Facebook groups, trying to join the boards, exegete the community, get to know the different power brokers, uh, not only like the business leaders and the realtors, but also those community leaders that have been there, the principal of the school to get to know her. What do you need? Because she's got her, her pulse on the families that live there. And then there's this whole like yuppie class or creative class that owns a lot of stuff, a lot of fighting, infighting among people. And here's what I would say, like, I saw, I heard just the negatives that you spoke about is uh, in a big way, but also the benefits. So there's some benefits to gentrification. For instance, St. Louis, a large percentage of St. Louis city is a food desert. For those who don't know that term, it's a sociological term. It means that people don't have access to food within walking distance or within close uh, mass transit distance. And so uh, they have to depend on these corner stores that often have to drive up prices because they don't have, they have a, a higher overhead. And so people that, that are already maybe struggling financially, they get less bang for their buck when it comes to their, their, their money that they have. And a lot of people in government assistance, they, it doesn't go as far. And so gentrification can also, it can, it can help in those some, some ways. Like, hey, people are saying, we need to make this community better for everybody. Let's get rid of the food desert. Let's bring in some grocery stores. Hey, people like 
people like coffee and they don't want to have to drive 30 minutes to go to a Starbucks. Let's get a Starbucks in on the corner of the neighborhood. So some of those things that people do want that, that are services. Um, so I saw that tension. Do people in the hood want coffee? Dude, I tell you what, I'm not a coffee drinker. And what I was surprised by is that people in the hood actually wanted coffee. I'm like, Wow. Uh, yeah, see, I'm from yeah. a I'm from a rural community, and in the rural community, people are like going to the gas station and drinking that sludge, and so they're used to that, man. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I, I saw that tension. Yeah, because you lot. know, but that that is the story. That no, that is the story of our neighborhood. It, it it is like we were in a food desert, but then after gentrifying gentrification comes, now we have grocery stores like in three different ways, three different areas. So it did in a lot of ways, because before, like five years ago, the grocery store that everyone had to go to was the Dollar General, you know, in our neighborhood. And that, so you eliminate fresh produce, you eliminated all of those those core things that you needed because that you can't get at a, at, at a Dollar General. But now we have Kroger on one side with Publix, we have Trader Joe's, we, you know, we got all of these, you know, different, things that have come. So that is our story. And that is, so I definitely see that as a benefit. Yeah. Man, you know, it's gentrification when Trader Joe's moves in. I mean, that's for real right there, the hipster grocery yeah. store. Yeah. You, oh, yes. Man. Yes. Hey, so, so here's what I, I would approach this. So I wanted to approach this biblically as a church planter. And I think all of our planters that are asking this question, they want to approach this biblically. And so Dahadi, where I often landed was Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will have yours. Because I think a lot of times in gentrification, we can reverse that. Seek the welfare of yourself, because in your own welfare, maybe there'll be a trickle-down effect. Maybe they will get welfare from yours. I think we see it through the lens of Scripture. How do we seek the welfare of the community around us? So I would love for both in both of our experience, but beginning with you, Dahadi, what are some practical things that church planters need to do, maybe conversations they need to have, things they need to be aware of in order to seek the welfare of the city and, and do this thing that may be gentrification one way or another, but it actually looks out for all people and they're thriving? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that you, what you just said, I think we got to, first of all, we got to think about this thing missiologically, right? And if we're looking at our, our terms missiologically, I think it's important. One, I would say, is that you got to like be in the neighborhood. And if you can't live in the neighborhood, you got to really be a part and figure out like, how do you really find yourself to be a, a piece of the fabric of the neighborhood? Because a lot of times, like I said, a problem is not a real problem unless it's your problem. And if something, and it's two ways you make something your problem or a real problem is through relationships and through proximity. So I just think that we got to like really make that take ownership of the neighborhood in which we're ministering in, you know, and I think the more that you can, and this is personal, the more that you can live in that neighborhood, I think the better. I literally live in the neighborhood in which I, the primary neighborhood that we're trying to minister in. And so that's, I'd say, I would say that's one. The second thing is when you do that, I think you got to move missiologically, move from trying to find the person of peace to becoming the person of peace. Ultimate, that's oftentimes I tell people, it's like, how do we become the people of peace in our neighborhood? And so just to give a little anecdotal story about us, is like we moved into the neighborhood. The first thing that we did is that we basically put our kids in the public school and it became, you know, it was a second worst performing public school in our neighborhood. It was like, what does it look like for us to to go find people of peace, to become in the person of peace? So my wife started volunteering there. We were volunteering there. You know, and 
and it was a very intentional thing. And the reason why it was intentional is because it was like, what is the one place that everybody has like buy-in? It was like the school system, right? Yeah. Because for the people that are indigenous, their kids are going to that school. For the people who are gentrifying, they know their housing value is tied to that school. So the thing was is that everybody wanted a better school. So we ran to the school. We, um, it was just like, and so in this, in the running to the school, like my wife was volunteering there. She ended up volunteering so much that she was just like, can we give you a job? She ended up getting a job as a cafeteria lady from that, you know, and so she just became that person. And then from the cafeteria lady, she became the Title IX woman, which, you know, the community liaison, which was ultimately, that's what happened. She became the person of peace. And so now in our neighborhood, in, you know, if people, when like MailChimp came into our neighborhood, when people come into our neighborhood, they say, we want to do good in our community, in this community, because of the labor that we put in, they now come to myself, they come to Angie, they come to, you know, they come to people in our church because we have went from simply trying to be, you know, find the person of peace to becoming the person of peace. So that was the second one. And the third one I would say is this, wow. we need to just simply begin to stop trying to use language or stop even the mentality of reaching our neighborhood to establishing family in our neighborhood, right? And so once you're a part of the very mm. fabric of your neighborhood, it's it's more it's it's a different mindset because if it's all about reaching the neighborhood, it's only about how do I reach the poor and the disenfranchised instead of but the problem is that always creates a a winner circle mentality, right? But what happens when you start reaching and when you start when those they start becoming a part of your family, right? You gotta like how do you give them a sense of dignity? And so, like, and there's and how do you create places where they're the ones leading out? Right. Because the problem is that if we're not careful, we will turn middle classism to equal maturity and being middle class doesn't equal maturity. Right. We got to be able to think through strategies and structures where, you know, whether poor, rich, middle class, we all can, you know, speak to one another, lead certain things. And it's not just the, the middle class and upper middle class being all the leadership. So those are three things that I would say practically that okay. that's, that's, that's critical. Yeah. What about and you? What are, like, how are yeah, you, how are you getting Yeah. I think one of the things we tried to do is make sure that we were not, um, we weren't, it wasn't us versus them or us to them. Uh, but, but instead like establishing family. So we would go to the, you know, the local principal at the elementary schools a few blocks away and we we're on the community hubs and we saw and we heard people would say about the school and the kids that went to the school. And it was almost like they thought that, that the school was there making the neighborhood worse. And instead of, you know, it wasn't, it was like uh, a stain upon their neighborhood's reputation, you know, kids that would litter on the way and it's things like that. So we went to the, to the principal and said, what do you need? Like you were doing a killer job and you were a, you were a pillar in this community. What, how can we serve you? And she gave us a lot of ideas. And you know, one of the things, for instance, it was an easy win was all of these these kids, the beginning of our school year, they need clothes. They, they need to be able to have like have a new wardrobe. And so what we started doing is we called it a clothing swap instead of a clothing giveaway, which so often feels like a, a church with a, a white pastor comes into a diverse neighborhood and they start to give, 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 and it becomes about us versus them. And we said a clothing swap is where everybody can bring and everybody can take. And so people would meet, build relationships at the table as they're shopping for clothes for their own kid. 
And so we're building this relationship mm. and people begin to say, how can I lead out in that next time? How can I be involved in that next time? And so and when we would do our kids camp, we would always make sure that it was a big family celebration at the end, a big barbecue. People could come and participate. And it wasn't the church sitting back and serving. We were trying to find ways to do that as we were asking, what do you need? What do you need? What what does what would make life better for not just this community? What would make life better for you and your family? And what we found out is those are the same things that everybody wanted at the core. They just looked a little different and maybe the price tag was different. And so yeah, I think as, as church planners go in and they act as missionaries exegeting their community, um, I think there's the, those conversations are important uh, to not get stuck only talking to what? the realtor, but get talking to the grandma of the neighborhood and finding out what's needed. Yeah, there's a principle that we oftentimes talk about, um, seek to understand before trying to be understood. I think a lot of times we go into the neighborhood automatically saying, preaching, 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 knowing, you know, thinking that they are, we have the answer. But the thing is, is that we're, we're giving gospel answers to questions that they don't have, you know? And I, so I think it's really important for us to seek to understand before understood. And so when, whenever we go into cities or towns or neighborhoods as, as a church, and, and I tell people as going in as missionaries, first seek to understand, take some time here, you know, and then we can show how the gospel brings about solution. Our prayer, when we found out about like, what, what was going on in our neighborhood, we basically said, hey, you guys, there's a like the, the current Section 8 housing connection. We got, you know, gentrification is coming. We have 20 years, 20 years to show that the answer to gentrification is not simply relocating the poor, but the answer to gentrification is the gospel made visible. And so we wanted to run to that tension and, and to simply learn and show that how can we bring a tangible expression of the gospel to be a cure to this, the, the 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 tearing of the fabric that gentrification is bringing. And that's that's great. Hadi, well, this subject is going to continue to be a subject that we explore um, as a network, as individuals in our cities. Uh, I think what I heard you say today more than more than anything is run to the tension. We can't run from it. We've got to run into it. Just as the Father sent Jesus, uh, he is sending us to run into the tension, uh, to love people and to not only share with them the gospel, but show them the gospel tangibly, man. So thank you for your wisdom today. Appreciate you. Hey, thank, thank, thank all of you for checking out another episode of the We Are Send Network podcast. As always, you can check things out at sendnetwork.com. And if you have questions about the Send Network in particular, you want to know more about church planning, you can text the words Send Network to 888-123. That's Send Network to 888-123. And until next time, We Are Send Network. You have been listening to We Are Sin Network, a resource of the North American Mission Board. For more information about today's podcast and other relevant resources, visit sendnetwork.com.